Everybody, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Coastal Voices. You are listening to CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, also streaming online at cfuv.uvic.ca. On this week's episode, Anawa McIver from UVic uh, Ad- Aboriginal Education and uh, her efforts and the efforts of UVic uh, in creating language revitalization programming at this school, all that and more on Coastal Voices. Stay tuned. Welcome to this week's episode of Coastal Voices. My name is Sasha Ouellette, and I am hanging out with you for the hour. And you're listening to CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria, and this is a show on Indigenous current affairs. If you weren't aware and haven't tuned in before, you can find us on SoundCloud at CFUV SoundCloud uh, under the Coastal Voices playlist section. Uh, today, on this week's episode, I spoke to Dr. Anawa McIver, who is the Director of Indigenous Education at the University of Victoria and has been facilitating the language revitalization efforts at the university. Anawa came in to the studio yesterday and we recorded our interview and had wonderful conversations about the efforts at UVic uh, in and surrounding language revitalization, the undergraduate program, the master's program, all of that. She was such a wonderful person to talk to, and I really hope you enjoy this interview today. Stay tuned. Today I'm here with Anawa McIver. She is the director of the Indigenous Education at the University of Victoria. Recently, CFUV has delved into exploring uh, 
language revitalization at UVic and and in Victoria. Anawa is the program director for language revitalization at UVic. So uh, could you tell us a little bit about what that entails for you in a day-to-day sense and I guess in the long term too? Sure. Um, Well, first of all, I'm a faculty member, so that's a little bit different than some other directors at UVic, like the director of the Office of Indigenous Affairs, so Mm -hmm. on. So I'm a regular faculty member that I have teaching load, and I also do research, That's Mm -hmm. and I'm on tenure track, so I have to um, achieve all those same things that other faculty members do. But I have the privilege of running this unit that's called Indigenous Education, which is in the Faculty of Education, and not the only thing, but one of the main things that we do is focusing on Indigenous language revitalization. So we have an undergraduate program and a graduate program. And the undergraduate program is community-based, so it doesn't happen at UVic hardly at all. Sometimes Mm. we have the odd course where students will come on campus for a couple of weekends or a full week. Um, Right now we have a South Island cohort and a North, North Island cohort. And those two have sometimes come together and done courses together here on UVic, but most of the program, 90% plus of the program happens in the communities, and that's because it's focused on the language, cultural revitalization, and so all of the support people, the elders, other knowledge keepers, administrators, and so on, um, that can assist the students to be successful in their program and also to acquire their language that's all happening in the community and it has the advantage as well of allowing those indigenous students to stay in their community most Mm -hmm. of them are parents or grandparents many of them have full-time jobs already have been making tremendous contributions in their communities for many years so that's part of the basis for the community-based program and then we also run a master's program and that's also cohort-based so it's a group of students that come in together and move through together but that is campus-based so we have students that come from all over Canada and we have our second cohort that's just begun a couple of weeks ago um, here on at in Victoria and the first cohort started in 2012 so that's the first and only program of its kind anywhere in Canada wow that's amazing that's really fantastic so what does that kind of look like for students who are in the master's program um how long is the program and and I guess what is some of the the coursework that they do is it like more hands-on because of what it is yeah that's a really good question um it's a designed to be basically a two-year program Mm -hmm. but it all depends on the student and like I said most of our students have full-time jobs and professional responsibilities as well as family responsibilities so sometimes students take longer but essentially they come to the university in July in the year that they begin and they do a a summer intensive so they're here for a whole month and sometimes they bring their families or their children sometimes their parents come to take care of their children sometimes partners come Um, but usually those people are off at the beach and doing tourist things and shopping while the students are slaving away being students (laughs) um, which is also always a lot of fun 
Um, so they're in class for a whole month and then they get to go back to their communities and then they come back in the fall for two one-week chunks of time and the same thing in January, two one-week chunks that are about halfway through, so sort of, you know, late January, mid-March, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And then the second summer they come back again for another summer intensive. So they're here on campus for about three weeks. Mm. And then from that point, they start to work on their project and theses and they move on into that stage of their master's so whether they're choosing to do a project or a thesis and we support them as faculty members to supervise and co-supervise and be on committees and help them to design projects and research projects and help them to carry those out in their communities and Mm -hmm. they're all quite community focused they are all have um, a focus where they really want to give back to the community they want to make a contribution so they take something that is of interest to them but also of interest to their community Mm -hmm. and so it's it's a great privilege for us to work with those students Um, so that first cohort started in 2012 so we have some of the first finishers this summer that we're sort of seeing through and then the rest of them hopefully will be finishing up throughout this academic year in the meantime we've taken in a new cohort so we've got another group of students that as I said have just begun this July and so they're just starting the beginning of their two-year journey together cool and how have you seen um this new program because it's so new how have you seen it uh affect and benefit the people who have gone through it now and are now finishing um that's a really good question (laughs) i think in some ways that story is yet to be told Mm -hmm. um, because the students that we've had come through the program at the master's level are just we have just as i said our first uh finishers Mm -hmm. and then in in addition to that we've also undertaken an evaluation project where we're going back and interviewing the students and having talking circles with the students and and asking those very questions to Mm -hmm. say how has this impacted your life and what kind of impacts have you noticed on your family and on your community um so that story i think is unfolding yeah yeah that's fantastic um what an interesting story that will be it's important (laughs) to um acknowledge that this the master's program is in partnership with the department of linguistics which Mm -hmm. is in the faculty of human Humanities. We have tremendous and amazing colleagues in the Department of Linguistics in Humanities who are also experts in Indigenous language revitalization. Many of them have been working in the field for decades. Mm. And so we work shoulder to shoulder with those colleagues, those of us that are in Indigenous education. And so the program is joint. So the kind of coursework that they do is both Indigenous education, for instance, the courses that they're doing this summer starts with a course on Indigenous epistemology. So mm-hmm. it's all about worldview and just getting really, really grounded mm-hmm. in our philosophies. That's where it begins. Mm-hmm. But then they're complemented with a linguistics course after that with one of our tremendous faculty members from linguistics. And so it sort of goes like that mm-hmm. throughout the whole program where we complement each term generally with an Indigenous education course as well as a linguistics course. But all the courses have a focus on language revitalization mm-hmm. so are people who are going through this are they starting to be able to speak their languages uh, do they focus on their own uh personal i guess heritage in in i guess the final year and and are they finding themselves able to start to speak fluently in their languages is that 
That's a really important distinction between the undergraduate program and the graduate program. Mm -hmm. So the graduate program is really focused on leadership in Mm -hmm. Indigenous language revitalization. So generally, the folks that are coming into that program are either already leaders in their community in language revitalization, but just haven't taken the time out of their life or their career or what their community has needed from them to do higher training. Mm -hmm. And so they're really coming to the program to learn more about what's happening in the field of language revitalization. What are the kinds of ways that other communities and countries and nations um, taking up this challenge of revitalizing Indigenous languages, learning all different kinds of methods and strategies, um, you know, political savvy and research as Mm -hmm. well about how can we further the whole discipline of Indigenous language revitalization. Mm -hmm. The undergraduate program has a much stronger focus on language learning. So this is a bachelor's level program. It's four and a half years long. And the first two years of the program has a really strong focus on language learning. Hmm. In the last half of the program, there has to be a stronger focus on teacher education because we're very strongly regulated in the province of BC about teacher education. We have a provincial body that oversees that, that says you have to do this set of courses and this many credits and this many hours in these ways. Mm -hmm. So in order for them to become professionally certified as teachers, we have to comply with those regulations. So that program has as much language learning as possible Mm -hmm. to infiltrate and to really strengthen because generally those students are coming into the program wanting to be language learners Mm -hmm. or they may be latent speakers in that they spoke the language earlier in their life but they're coming back to the language Mm -hmm. but they want to be language teachers that's what they want to do and many of the communities that we work with actually have goals of creating immersion schools that's their ultimate dream is to have an immersion school so they need not only professional teachers to teach in the school but they need those teachers to be quite proficient in the language Mm. whereas a lot of the people in our master's program not everybody but a lot of them are speakers already and are language teachers already they have bachelor's degrees and they're already teaching in their communities Mm. that's fantastic um so people are coming at this program usually unable to speak the full language or fluently um is it specific to each person and their cultural background when when they come into the undergraduate program and they want to learn their language? Is that coursework specific to them? Or will they be taught a multitude of different languages? Or right. is it focused on you know their personal heritage? Right, right. So again, the undergraduate program is also cohort-based, so Mm -hmm. similar to the master's program, as I talked about being a cohort. But what I mean in the master's program is that's a group of students that come together on campus from all over, from Haida Gwaii, from Mohawk Territory, from Northwest Territories, Northern BC, all over the place people come from. In the undergraduate program, those our community partnerships. So when there's when I say cohort for the undergraduate program, all of those students are either from the same language group or similar okay. language group. So there could be some dialect variation if there's uh, neighboring communities that are partnering in order to get enough students together to do a program. Mm-hmm. So there is sometimes some variation and they do sometimes need additional resources to have um, elders and knowledge keepers from different communities to come together to support the students to make sure that everybody's dialect is being represented and um, 
and supported. Mm-hmm. But they are those programs have to be quite focused on one language group because they're mm-hmm. moving through together, they're learning the language together, and then they're learning the theory about um, te- becoming a teacher mm-hmm. so that they can become teachers in their community. And um, what was the language group that just went through this program? So the two language groups that are still in the program, there's Sinchothan, mm-hmm. which is the language of this area, as mm-hmm. well as Lekwungen, but this partnership is with the Sinchothan-speaking people, mm-hmm. which is the Saanich group of tribes from the Saanich Peninsula, mm-hmm. but their territory does reach down as far as the University of Victoria, which generally acknowledged as shared territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other group is a Kwakwila-speaking group, or Bakwumgala, those the two names for the languages that they have in that area, and that's, again, representing um, a bit of language diversity from that area. Um, but the Kwakwakwak people, and that partnership is based in Fort Rupert, but mm-hmm. it's actually a partnership between three tribes in that area. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. And they're all in there going into their last term. So they've got a bit of time off this summer. And then this fall, they're doing a couple of courses that really support their practicum because they're Mm -hmm. all going out for their final practicum. And the final practicum is, you know, nine to 12 weeks of full-time, basically frontline teaching in a classroom space. So it's a really intense time for the students, but it's a really exciting time because Mm -hmm. it's the final the final run and then it's new they're kind of like the frontiers of this program absolutely and uh, in both cases that's absolutely true they'll be the first graduate so they'll be convocating in june 2015 yeah and maybe one day um teaching people at uvic the same program absolutely it's funny that you say that because in the sanchathan speaking group one of the um, courses that we have that runs is the language course and so mm-hmm. that runs often in the evening in three hour chunks and that course has run multiple times over the years mainly to support this language program that mm-hmm. we run but now we have some of the people who are in our master's cohort who have become more proficient speakers of the language who are now teaching that course at Mm. the undergraduate level for the incoming students and there is some hope about keeping that part of the program going Mm -hmm. maybe repeating that part of the program because they have really strong goals around wanting to revitalize their language down Mm -hmm. here in south island well and it's coming full circle too um so Is there any partnership within uh, elementary school education right now? Is there some way that these students can work with elementary school children to teach them languages? Or are you seeing any language revitalization uh, within, I guess, the island specifically uh, within elementary education? So most of the, the students in our program are focused on elementary education generally Mm -hmm. and so as I said you know they're all at that stage of practicum being practice teachers Mm -hmm. and so come next year you know they'll likely all be classroom teachers either teaching the language as a subject or teaching in an immersion style depending on what's available and what programs they're setting up. There are a number of school districts around Vancouver Island that do teach Indigenous languages as a subject in the school. There aren't any immersion schools on the island although that I know of <clears throat> although the Sinchothan speaking 
um, people who we have the privilege of working with are working towards an immersion school one grade at a time. Mm. So they started a language nest program, which is for very young children up to age five. Mm-hmm. And then they're in their second or third year of that program. That's basically like a full-time preschool that's run 100% in the language. And then they graduated their first group last September. So in September of 2013, they started a kindergarten immersion. Hmm. So this is the first year that they've run kindergarten immersion for their graduates from the Language Nest program. And then this fall, September 2014, they'll have their first grade one immersion. Hmm. But they're also keeping the Language Nest going and the kindergarten immersion going. So the idea is not to drop off at the back end, but to just keep building towards those higher levels of education. But of course, in order to do that, they need to continue to build more and more proficient speakers as well as people with professional teaching degrees so that they can staff those positions. Hmm, that's amazing. And insofar as funding for these types of programs, um, is the government receptive to what's happening for language revitalization? Is the government of British Columbia supporting these elementary schools and these programs uh, that are trying to you know, hire new teachers and students to create these uh, curriculums? <coughs> Most of the funding for the programs come is a partnership between the University of Victoria, who obviously makes some contribution to the program, and then the a lot of the funding comes from the post-secondary funding that every um, First Nation mm-hmm. gets from their bands. Yeah. yeah, and so they generally fund individual students. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, though, because of the nature of community-based education for the undergrad program, you do need to have some additional funding because there's, as I said, elders, knowledge keepers. It's important to feast and celebrate mm-hmm. along the way. Um, there's travel expenses for university staff to go and and um, meet with our partners and relationship build. Also, if we have to bring in instructors, it just all costs more than mm-hmm. if you run a program at UVic. So there is funding. There are different um, sources of funding that we do um access with our partners and so we do these joint funding proposals and generally we can't run the programs without them so Mm -hmm. a lot of what we do is fundraising grant fundraising and when we get them then we're able to run these programs with communities to answer your question more pointedly about the government's support for language revitalization there was for a time for a good chunk of time there was a specific fund available for language revitalization post-secondary programs specifically but that funding is no longer Mm. now the funding is more generic and so it's more for indigenous post-secondary education Mm -hmm. in general or it could be community-based focused and with the current government that we have right now we're just seeing a lot stronger focus on job readiness Mm -hmm. and a really fine attention to the labor market and so it's getting harder across the board to fund bachelor's degrees basically the Mm -hmm. main a lot of the funding is focused on certificate diploma level apprenticeship Um, Mm -hmm. trades that kind of thing but we do our program is laddered so we have a certificate at year one a diploma at year two and then they have a temporary sort of professional certification that they can receive from the province at year three so we do have some ways that we can access certain kinds of funding Mm -hmm. along the way towards the bachelor's degree Mm -hmm. so up until now we've been very fortunate 
to um, work with communities that have been really successful in being able to get external funding to be able to run programs like this. Mm-hmm. So it's a mixed answer. Yeah. There isn't a lot of funding from the government, either federal or provincial, for Indigenous revitalization specifically, mm-hmm. and that's across the board, whether you're talking about post-secondary programs or whether you're talking about other kinds of initiatives. I think, you know, you would hear that same sentiment if you spoke with other people that work in the field. Mm -hmm. But there is some funding for post-secondary education. And so that's the way we just try to access that, to use that towards the goals for language revitalization. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's great that people uh, are able to access funding through their bands, and I know that that's invaluable to a lot of people in my life who are Indigenous to be able to go through school in that way, because coming from smaller communities, the money is not always there. And it takes a tremendous commitment, in fact, on the part of the First Nation, because mm-hmm. there's always competing priorities for that funding, right? Mm-hmm. There's always going to be more people applying for that funding than they can than they can fund, mm-hmm. than they can support. And so it's a commitment mm-hmm. that First Nations have made across the province to say we are going to put the bulk of our funding towards this program for this number of years because this is a priority for our community. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Um, recently I went to the Royal Br- British Columbia Museum for their Outer Living Languages exhibit, which is, as you know, uh, another language revitalization effort in conjunction with the First Peoples Cultural Council. Um, has Uvic worked with RBC in that effort, or is there kind of some connections there? There have been more conversations, I would say. I've been in contact with some of the folks who have been involved with creating that exhibit, and there has been some talk about hiring students or having volunteer students to um, assist with some parts of that. My sense was that because the program was coming together so quickly Mm -hmm. and um, because there was already relationship building between the Royal British Columbia Museum and First Peoples Cultural Council, that that was really the the heart of the effort really Mm -hmm. came from those two organizations. Mm -hmm. And are you able, because they have created these keyboards and, and, and language apps, are you able to incorporate that into any of the teachings that you uh, go through? I don't know if, I know it's a very new thing, so um, I guess in the future, would you be able to or want to incorporate uh, some of the efforts they've made for, I guess, modern language revitalization? Would you be interested in incorporating that into coursework? Absolutely. And what's really interesting is that, you know, the field of language revitalization, especially if you if you look at the BC scale, for instance, it's not a huge, it's not a huge community. Mm-hmm. We all know each other. We all work together. So most of the folks who have worked on creating those keyboards, creating um, apps for phones, that kind of thing, they're all involved in our program. Mm-hmm. So they're already either bachelor's students or master's students. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the opening for the exhibit, you know, and it's everybody knows everybody mm-hmm. and everybody's on this board and that board and working on that research project and this research project and they've been a student in our program or they're a current student in our mm-hmm. program. So it's an interconnected community. And so all of those, the fonts that are available for computers, the apps that are being created, it's really all happening in the same community that we're 
of which we're a part. Mm-hmm. And it seems like British Columbia is really leading the way for those efforts um, in terms of the modern technology and this program. Um, do you hope to see this programming kind of pop up across the country? Do you hope that uh, they can take what you what y'all have done here and and use it as a model for their programs if they are able to uh, create them? Absolutely. I mean, we need everybody's help. Mm -hmm. This needs to be a nationwide effort and Mm -hmm. not just Indigenous people. Mm -hmm. Similar to to the reconciliation efforts that have happened, you know, the loss of language in Canada is a responsibility that everybody needs to take on. Mm-hmm. And as Indigenous people, we can't do it alone. Mm-hmm. Definitely, we need to be at the fore of it and we need to be help. We need to be, you know, the ones making the decisions and we need to be consulting with our knowledge keepers and making sure that, you know, all those efforts are come from an Indigenous roots. But we need everybody's help. Mm-hmm. And so, What's happening in BC, if it can inspire other communities, other provinces, or influence governments in any way to get on board with the tremendous amount of work that needs to happen to truly revitalize the languages in Canada, the Mm -hmm. Indigenous, the original languages of this country, we need as many hands as we can. Mm -hmm. We need as many helpers as will come and say, I'm interested, we're interested in what you're doing how can we help? We're interested in what you're doing. How could we recreate something like that Mm -hmm. where we are? It needs to be a nationwide effort. Hmm. That's fantastic. I completely agree with that. Um, uh, Thank you so much for coming in today. And I just, what a great conversation. I really appreciate talking to you. Merci, Sasha. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Once again, that was Anawa McIver, Dr. Anawa McIver from uh, the Director of Indigenous Education at UVic. If you missed some of that interview, please keep your eyes peeled on the Coastal Voices Facebook page or on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash CFUV under the Coastal Voices playlist, where you can also check out uh, previous episodes of Coastal Voices and download or stream them. Um, I'm going to get into some weather and then we're going to do some music. Once again, visit cfuv.uvic.ca if you or someone you know is in a band and they'd like to come and make use of this wonderful basement closet sessions thing we got happening. Um, there's been so many awesome bands there and it's really good time. In other news, the deadline to submit for the Canadian Folk Music Festival Awards is coming up pretty quick. It's on July 14th. Again, that's July 14th, a few days there. Canadian artists and groups whose albums were released in Canada between June 15th of 2013 and June 14th of 2014 are all ad- eligible. So that's folkawards.ca if you want more information. And uh, again, the deadline is June 14th. Uh, important to remember that. I'm going to get into some music from Angel Hayes. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. The song is called A Tribe Called Red, and it is Angel Hayes. Hello, you're listening to CFUV 101.9. I'm going to get into some news now. <coughs> 
Thank you again for coming in to Postal Voices. My name is Sasha. I am here with you for the rest of the hour, um, just until just until six, and then we have Straight No Chaser coming right up. Um, sorry about cutting you off there. Uh, we're listening to uh, Future Islands, and before that, we're listening to Angel Hayes, uh, Tribe Called Red. I think I don't know if she used beats from a Tribe Called Red or not. I don't know. I'm not sure about the story behind that song, but if you know, let me know. You can tweet me at Sasha Willette. In news today, the Williams Lake Silquat Nation stands in support of Tribal Chairman Joe Alphonse. They say that they have dealt with, uh, as a nation, Tassico Mines Limited and the forced attempts to force the proposed uh, prosperity project. As a nation, they are they will continue to work together as one voice. The Silquatan chiefs unanimous, unanimously voted Chief Alphonse as the spokesperson. They demand help that Halbar and Tassico Mining Limited stop making slanderous remarks against Joe Alphonse. Um, in Victoria, BCCRD directors and First Nations leaders are proposing action this Wednesday. Uh, well, I guess that's today. Today, earlier today at 1.30 this happened. Uh, CRD board meeting happened to protect the First Nations burial site on Grace Islet in Ganges Harbour on Salt Spring Island. The site is currently the subject of an incredibly controversial development project to build a private residence on the sacred burial ground. The province of British Columbia archaeology branch approved an alteration permit earlier this year despite the negative impact it would have on the First Nations people of the territory and some resistance from the CRD as well. We are calling on the CRD board to stand with First Nations uh, and request action from the province to protect this First Nations burial site, says Ben Isset, who is a Victoria City Councilor and CRD director. He has submitted a motion requesting that the archaeology branch suspend alteration permit, the alteration permit in order to further allow conversations and proper consultations between Indigenous folks of BC and the province and landowner who is looking to build. They're hoping for a permanent protection of this sacred burial site. Vern Jacks, the chief of the Sacum Nation, whose traditional territory includes the southern Gulf, Gulf Islands, says that it's our way of life and we've got to protect the ancestors. And I totally agree with that. Uh, and I think it's ridiculous that somebody would want to build on a sacred burial site like this, um, but not really surprising considering the history of this land. The Grace Island motion, or Grace is Islet motion, is sent to be considered uh, at the board meeting in Victoria today. Kwakuto Chief Kareen Child says that Silkwatton uh, court victory last month proves that the Vancouver Island First Nations with Douglas treaties have already demonstrated Aboriginal title for over 160 years. We are deeply moved by the resolve of the Silkwatton people, and the ruling will have far-reaching impacts on First Nations and Crown governments. For Kwakutl, the Supreme Court of Canada's declaration reaffirms that the 1851 Douglas Treaty proves Aboriginal title, and the government has not lived up to its promises, says Chief Kareen Child. The Silkwatton Win reinforces a BC Supreme Court decision made on June 17, 2013, which found the province of British Columbia had breached its legal duties by denying the existence of Kwakutl's inherent title and treaty rights, 
since 2004, the BC government has been granting the removal of private lands from tree farms licenses located within Kwakutl territory without consent or consultation from the Indigenous people of the land. The Kwakutl people believe that the Crown governments and industry will have to meaningfully engage on a deeper level with respect to Aboriginal title and treaty when making decisions conducting and conducting business on First Nations territory. The Tolson Nation is also preparing for an Aboriginal case title against industry that plans to build within their territories in Mount Clapin area. And basically, we're just waiting to see more and more First Nations bands pop up because this is an ongoing issue. And uh, beyond British Columbia, First Nations are facing <coughs> pressure from industry to continue to allow their lands to be built on. Um, I have no doubt that... Uh, the bands across Canada will stand together in support of their territories to honor and respect them. Um, in special events and announcements, uh, the Indigenous Women and Two-Spirit Harm Reduction Coalition have begun working on a self-published collection of research, writing, and cultural production which will explore marginalized perspectives around decolonization, and they're looking for contributors. They're offering an honorarium of $50 to $250 per piece, depending on the undertaking, and this project is specifically for Indigenous contributors only. Preference will be given to Two-Spirit, LGBTQ, and Indigenous women and youth. The deadline for submission is August 16th, and you can find out more uh, by going to N. D-N Harm Redux, R-E-D-U-X dot Tumblr dot com. And I'll also have a post on my Facebook page and Coastal Voices Facebook page. So if you have me on Facebook, you can just go to my page. If not, you can go to the Coastal Voices Facebook page. Imaginative win- award winner Sydney Freeland has released a trailer for her new film about three Navajo teens, a gangbanger father-to-be, a college-bound Christian, and a transgender sex worker all trying to find their way off ra- the res, and they end up crossing paths. The trailer is available now, and it's premiering at the Sundance Film Festival on August 15th. And I have to tell you, I watched the trailer earlier today, and it made me tear up a bit. It looks like an amazing film, and also... Um, it's a regular and not often seen uh, Indigenous folks portrayed in a contemporary sense, in a real sense, uh, in movies. So it was really, really powerful to me to just see the trailer. So I really can't, can't wait to see this movie. Once again, it premieres at the Sundance Film Festival on August 15th and will probably be uh, touring around uh, in smaller film in smaller venues like Victoria Film or the Victoria Theatre. Um, gonna get into uh, Straight No Chaser next, but first we're gonna go into some more music and then uh, we'll do a little recap about what happened on today's show, where you can find the earlier half of the show if you missed it, and where you can find other shows and uh thank you again for tuning into coastal voices i appreciate it and i hope you're having a wonderful day uh i think i'm going to get into some flying down thunder and rise ashen okay thank you for tuning in everybody this is flying down thunder rise ashen this is cub called wabinikoi and nano uh rock your world 
Thank you again for tuning in to Coastal Voices. My name is Sasha. You are listening to CFUV 101.9. Follow us on Twitter at CFUV or at CFUV DJ to find out what the people in the DJ booth are tweeting about, what they're playing, and any events or ticket giveaways we might have. Up next, again, is Straight No Chaser, everybody's favorite jazz program. And uh, stay tuned. I'm going to leave you with some more tunes. Have a great day, everybody. And once again, thank you for tuning in to CFUV. And if you just want to know what that song just was, uh, it was Rise Ashen. And uh, I'm really into it. I'm really feeling that. It's Flying Down Thunder and Rise Ashen. It's from the album Northwind. Check that out online or uh, in your local record shop. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm signing off. Find me on SoundCloud, Facebook, and Twitter at Sasha Willette. On uh, Facebook, uh, Coastal Voices is a Facebook group, not a page. Just remember that. And um, on SoundCloud under CFUV. So thank you again for tuning in, and I'll see you all next week.